Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's podcast of Nuclear Hot Seat, the place where you can get up-to-date information about all matters nuclear that are going on on the planet, at least as many as I can figure out, as well as information as to how to take a citizen activist response to what's going on, and holistic and health-building options so that we're in the best health possible and at the least risk from any radiation exposure that may have happened in the past or that may happen in the future. My name is Libby Halevi, and the reason I am doing these is because I was one mile away from the nuclear reactor at Three Mile Island when it malfunctioned back in um, uh, 1978, excuse me, 1979 on March 28th. And because of that, uh, in the wake of Fukushima, I've been watching materials, paying attention, and been doing so much investigation on my own that it got to the point where I couldn't hold on to it myself. So that's what's behind these podcasts, and I hope you listen. We'll be going for about 30 to 40 minutes today, and um, you'll get a better grasp of what's happening in the world. I'm also very pleased that this week we have an interview, my first interview. It's going to be with Sheldon Plotkin, who is a consulting systems and safety engineer and someone who's been involved with nuclear issues since the beginning, meaning over 50 years ago. And Sheldon will be giving us some perspective both on um, what's going on in uh, the nuclear world, giving us some interpretation on that, and also some ideas as to what we can do to take a more powerful activist stance. Um, as we get started, I'd like to bring you up to date on some of the news that's out there. I sure wish there was less news. But here's where we will start, and that is, if you haven't heard about it, the fire in New Mexico, a uh, wildfire, is burning, and it's right at the edges of the Los Alamos Laboratory. Now, that was where, that was part of the Manhattan Project where nuclear weapons were developed um, that led to the bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki. And they have had a continuous presence there testing nuclear devices. Uh, according to nukewatch.org, and I will be giving you URLs, so you might want to take a paper and pen out and just drop, jot them down if you're interested. According to Jay Coughlin of nukewatch.org, this was a posting he did today, that there are a couple of very serious problems that they are looking at that could be triggered by this wildfire. He said that there's not as much danger from the major containment buildings. They're not sure exactly what the threat is, but they are held pretty secure. The brush is cleared around them and there's a lot of vigilance. There, there was actually a spot fire that happened from embers falling on the property of the nuclear laboratory, which is about 40 square miles of property. They were able to put that out on Sunday. But the problem is that, um, I'm trying to find the exact quote here, that there are as many as 30,000 55-gallon drums of plutonium-contaminated waste going all the way back to the 1940s that are stored on the property. They are stored above ground and in tents. In other words, there's no containment around them. They're just in these above-ground casks. And if the fire gets to him, gets to them, the danger is that they will become so hot that they would burst, and that would put toxic material into a plume. Uh, that quote is according to Joni Ahrens, who's executive director of the Concerned Citizens for Nuclear Safety, which is an anti-nuclear group. There's also the danger, according to Jay Coughlin, that materials that were buried, that were low-level waste, 
are on the ground and in the ground and in the path of the fire. And it's entirely possible that by the burning going through there, those particles can be nanoized and lifted up as dust into the upper atmosphere. So that's happening right now uh, in Los Alamos, and I should say that I am doing this on June 28, 2011, which is day 109 since Fukushima. Uh, so we just have a context here. Hopefully everything will be safe, but meanwhile the entire city of Los Alamos has been uh, evacuated. Uh, there might be a few hangers on there, but everybody's getting out of the way of that big fire and um, sending lots of light and love to them because that could be very dangerous. Fort Calhoun, well, it's still flooding there. Uh, remember that eight-foot inflated berm that was filled with water that was protecting the nuclear plant there? On Sunday night, one of the workers who was working with sandbags to try and create additional protection there was moving a backhoe and um, got a little bit off his track and uh, actually cut into the berm. It immediately deflated, and the water has now flooded in two feet into the containment building. Um, the good news, if there is good news in this, is that it is not yet high enough to create any danger. There are backup systems, and uh, they're now generating emergency power to keep the cooling system going there. So the cooling system is continuing. However, the backup generators have no direct source of fuel. So in truth, the fuel is being provided by the equivalent of a bucket brigade of workers there carrying and handing off containers of fuel to go into the plant so that there's enough fuel to keep running the backup generators. Um, not a good thing. Also, uh, last week, according to the AP, there was a major report that is the end of a one-year investigation that um, AP did into nuclear safety. And what they discovered is that there are a lot of problems with nuclear safety. In other words, nuclear safety is pretty much an, axiom, an oxymoron. It is a contradiction of terms. What they said, and again, I have so many reports here, it was almost impossible to keep them straight. Um, some of the things that they found is that uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, or federal regulators, um, have been working very closely with the nuclear power industry to keep the nation's aging nuclear reactors operating within safety standards. Now, how do they do them? They repeatedly weakened the standards. They just kept on lifting the limits. It's kind of like what happened with the mortgage meltdown where it's just kind of like it looks like you don't have enough money or enough income. Oh, we'll just crunch the numbers in a slightly different way, and now it looks like you have the money, even if you don't. So they've been raising those limits, which have allowed some very old uh, nuclear plants not only to stay online, but they're talking about increasing the period of time they can be online for another 10, 20 years. Um, if you drive an old car, you know that it gets to the point where it's just not worth it to keep putting in new pieces of equipment. Um, but we're not looking at nuclear plants that way, so they're just getting older and creakier and leakier. Some of the examples that were found in this AP report, which was authored by Jeff Dunn, is that when valves leaked, leaked, more leakage was allowed up to 20 times the original limit. When rampant cracking called radi caused radioactive leaks from steam-generating tubing, an easier test of the tubes was devised so the plants could meet the standards. They found failed cables, busted seals, broken nozzles, 
clogged screens, cracked concrete, dented containers, corroded metals, and rusty underground pipes. All of these and thousands of other problems linked to aging were uncovered by the EP's year-long investigation. And any of them, all of them, could escalate dangers in the event of an accident. Yet, despite the many problems linked to the aging, not a single official body in government or industry has studied the overall frequency and potential impact on safety of such breakdowns in recent years, even as the NRC has extended the licenses of dozens of reactors. Boy, uh, meanwhile, um, taking a look at Fort Calhoun, another perspective on it is that we really do have to thank the NRC for doing their job because uh, they released a, port, a report just about a year ago in 2010 that cited uh, Fort Calhoun for their uh, for the dangers of a possible nuclear accident in the case of flooding and forced them to increase their protection. What's fascinating about this is that uh, OPPD, which is the company that runs the uh, nuclear reactor at Fort Calhoun, um, fought them on this. They tried to say, oh, it's not going to be a problem. Oh, if the water gets up to 10,009 feet, we'll do something about it, but we'll be fine up until then. While the NRC was saying it should be at 1,014 feet. Now, the water has been at 1,007 to 1,008 point something feet already. It's coming very close to that 1,009 feet. Fortunately, the NRC did their job in this case. They forced the increase of the, um, uh, of the protection from the flooding. And uh, for now, uh, at 1,800.5 feet, it would have been inundated in the past. But now... Right now, we're still dodging the bullet. The problem being that nobody knows how much higher the floodwaters are going to go, and they're certainly going to be up and not drained until it's now estimated to be sometime in August. So this is a wait-and-see situation. But thank you very much to the NRC for having done that, or we would be in a lot worse position now. One last thing about um, the bomb deflation story. Uh, I did go back to local newspapers, local news sources, and that's where I discovered that it was a guy in a backhoe who like backed into it and went like a like like a zipper and all of a sudden all the water was out of that. But as I watched the national reports, it kind of got you should pardon the expression watered down to simply being oh um, the bomb deflated like it happened all by itself. You remember in grammar school, you used to play the game of telephone where somebody said something, whispered something in somebody's ear and went around the room, and by the time the last person said it, it was completely different than the one where it started? It kind of feels that way with the information flow or the disinformation flow that is uh, happening in our news media regarding all matters nuclear. There seems to be a sense of, if we don't talk about it, it's not going to be a problem. If we downplay the human element, people won't be that concerned about it, and the questions won't get asked. We need to know that something as simple as uh, an operator making a slightly wide turn in a backhoe was enough to take away eight feet of protection between the Missouri River and the Fort Calhoun reactor. So I have a media background, and this kind of thing just makes me nuts. 
So one more, a couple more things about Fukushima, and then we'll get on to our interview with Sheldon Plotkin. Um, one is that I loved this one. Do you know that there was to be a tourism promotion event to be held in Fukushima Prefecture on June 26th? Can't you imagine that being a uh, vacation destination spot? I'm pretty sure Ann Coulter would be very fond of that. She has gone on record as saying how wonderful radiation is for her and that we didn't need to be worried about anything from Fukushima. So she would have been the target person to put there. However, what did happen in Fukushima Prefecture on June 26th, which is just this past weekend, is that the parents protested. The parents of children who live in the prefecture protested. They are concerned, they are worried, and I can't say that I blame them. Um, there are, there's a survey showing 182 places showing readings close to or above the official annual exposure limit of 20 millisieverts per year in and around the prefecture. Um, the topsoil, the government has promised to remove the topsoil from playgrounds and from school grounds. It hasn't happened yet. They're talking about it, but they haven't done anything about it yet. And the concern is that parents don't know what's going to happen with their children. So what the government has done is issue radiation badges to 34,000 children and each of the schools so that they can see how much radiation they've been exposed to. I don't know about you, this doesn't make me feel any more comfortable to have children as young as four years old walking around with radiation badges on them just to show how much radiation there has been. Um, one last point, and that is that in the international community, there has been sane response to the nuclear situation and a taking seriously of the events that are coming to the fore that are being revealed. Um, protesters have been demanding that a French nuclear plant be closed. Uh, again, on June 26th, uh, thousands of demonstrators formed a human chain outside of France's older, oldest nuclear power plant to demand that the site be closed as the government mulls over whether to extend its life by a decade. Uh, part of the problem is that it's in Alsace, which is, pardon my pronunciation on that, which is right on the border of Germany. Germany has decided to abandon nuclear power. France still relies heavily on its 58 nuclear reactors and has decided to defend its safety as opposed to taking a step back from nuclear power. So the protesters were mostly Germans, but people were getting extremely riled about that. Um, and radiation doesn't re doesn't respect national borders. It doesn't re respect differences in race, religion, creed, history, age, gender, sexual identity. Nothing. All it knows is it goes out, it goes through things, and if it happens to be your body, well, that's your body. It doesn't care where it goes, and there are no limits placed on it unless it's inside a containment system. Ah, oh, not good news. Well, I'm just rejoining the nuclear protest citizen activist brigade, but I have somebody on this call who has been doing this for longer than I think some of the callers have actually been alive. Uh, Sheldon Plotkin, as I said, is a consulting systems and safety engineer. He has been involved with nuclear issues since the beginning, quote-unquote, which he said was over 50 years ago. 
writing letters, being an activist, speaking out, taking part in panel discussions, and he's also on the executive board of the Southern California Federation of Scientists. So, Sheldon, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here <laughs> listening to all of this. I don't know how to respond to all the information you've you've released. Well, but. what I'd like to do is talk with you about some of your areas of, of expertise on this. Um, you were the gentleman who I heard speak at the um, um, Chernobyl anniversary event, the 25th anniversary of Chernobyl, and you were the one from whom I heard that um, half-life is just the half the potency, and to find out how long radiation is toxic, we need to run it through at least 10 cycles of half-life, meaning multiply the number by, by 10, if not a whole bunch more than that. And I want, was wondering if first you could put some attention on um, Fort Calhoun. And are we safe? Does it look like they're telling the truth about this? Can you give us some feedback on, from your perspective, okay. what the dangers might be? My perspective is that you don't really know. And because uh, there's always the company uh, that's operating the nuclear power plant that has a public relations uh, they're also in uh, control of the news from that nuclear power plant, and you're going to tend to get a rosy picture, a rosier picture than it actually is. This certainly happened at Fukushima, and little by little we're finding out that uh, that accident is still unfolding, and uh, uh, it's uh, uh, pretty obvious to me that that's going to be a much bigger, uh, much ha have a much bigger impact on humanity than Chernobyl. And uh, this is uh, bad news because Chernobyl was uh, one of, of a safety error made by personnel, and uh, uh, and the plant blew up uh, because the operators didn't know what they were doing. In this case, Fukushima is a result of an earthquake and a natural disaster, uh, then followed by the tsunami. But the initial uh, earthquake knocked out the cooling system, and. Uh, 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 while they need to worry about those kind of things in Japan, uh, we have to worry about those things here in California where I live, and uh, San Onofre and Diablo Canyon. Right. So, you, uh, you, were, you were telling me earlier um, something in connection with in, Fukushima has an evacuation zone, and what that might do here in Southern California if something happened in San Onofre. Yeah, well, uh, I uh, testified at the licensing at San Onofre, and and uh, pointed out that uh, their evacuation plans were were real garbage. Uh, instead of uh, uh, seven eight hours to evacuate in case of a of a nuclear catastrophe, it was going to take at least a week or week and a half. And uh, <clears throat> uh, that's uh, pretty recognized as being the case. Uh, the uh, the number I heard the other day at a, a panel discussion meeting was that. Uh, uh, a 50-mile radius, as they've uh, put around Fukushima, doing that at San Onofre would involve some 8 million people. And they got one freeway. Right, and we so all know what the 405 four freeway can be like under the best of circumstances, let alone everybody suddenly saying, oops, I think I have to get out of here. Right, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, evacuating, uh, you do it uh, when you have to, but... Uh, uh, it's uh, it's really uh, my message always is to uh, go look at what can happen in the future. I mean, we've we've talked about operator errors, human errors, uh, this backhoe in 
at this uh, nuclear plant uh, you're talking about? Uh, uh, where? In yeah, Nebraska, Fort, the Fort Calhoun in uh, Missouri. Missouri, all right. Uh, and uh, excuse me, the Missouri uh, River in the back in Nebraska. like that, and uh, these things are all operator errors. And here we've got Fukushima. That's a natural disaster that that struck, and this can always happen. And these plants are never safe. You talk about the NRC and their standards. NRC, first of all, has never turned down a, an application for a nuclear facility. Really? In other words, anybody who has applied and said, I want to put up a nuclear facility, they've given it a green light? Uh, they have, yes. Uh, I'm In all uh, uh, fairness to uh, uh, the listeners, uh, 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 there's been a couple of cases I know of where the case by the community against the licensing was so overwhelming that the uh, entity that was uh, trying to get the license withdrew it before the NRC uh, could uh, act or be forced to act. And so the NRC uh, 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 kept a clean record with the nuclear industry at that point. Now, you say they forced uh, at Fort Calhoun to uh, build a berm for floodwaters, and... Uh, and I agree with you. That's good news. They're trying to be a little responsible. But, you know, uh, if they hadn't done that, we would be in a lot worse shape right now. Well, I guess uh, we're in bad shape anyway with all these nuclear reactors. I mean, let's face it. You know, this is, uh, as they say, you know, one hell of a way to boil water. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, and uh, these things are dangerous, and we got to shut them down. The idea of, of building up all this high-level nuclear waste, which has been my main emphasis all these years, there's no uh, acceptable solution for the disposal of high-level nuclear waste from the spent fuel rods. And, uh, there, and not only that, uh, another fellow and I wrote a paper a little bit ago, and uh, we claim there's not going to be uh, a, a satisfactory solution. So and let me ask you, Sheldon, since, since you were involved way back in the beginning, um, what was the rationale? I mean, they knew they were going to be creating nuclear waste. What was the rationale in building these plants when they didn't have a way of disposing of the, the nuclear waste? Okay, they believed that the uh, they, the uh, uh, ability of the nuclear engineers was sufficient to eventually, when the time came, uh, which would be some 20, 30 years hence after they started, to devise a satisfactory disposal system. And they didn't do their homework. They didn't look at the fundamentals. And uh, we're now some 50 years downstream, and uh, well, they haven't figured it out yet. And not only that, uh, you know, uh, I can be, uh, as a U.S. citizen, uh, I can uh, uh, be pretty vocal about my condemnation of, of our government and, and our representatives and our companies and so forth. But in the meantime, uh, France and Japan have done the same thing. Uh, real arrogance, they thought they knew better. Mm -hmm. They knew they were going to have a waste problem, and they thought that they could figure out some way of handling it. And at the moment, representatives from the French government, like appeared on 60 Minutes some bit ago, you know, uh, didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, they talked about they, had the, they didn't have a waste problem because they reprocessed. Well, it's been pointed out by... Uh, 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 recognized uh, uh, nuclear power people that uh, reprocessing is simply a technique of moving the nuclear waste from the nuclear power plant to the reprocessing facility and isn't any solution at all. 
So uh, there's no satisfactory solution for the waste. There's not going to be. The cost of monitoring that waste for some 10 to 20,000 years is not figured in the cost of the plant. Uh, also, the decommissioning of the plant, as it operates, the structure, uh, which is uh, uh, composed of, uh, of uh, reinforced concrete, uh, the concrete being glue and the reinforcement being steel that gets irradiated with neutrons, becomes dangerous. There are isotopes created uh, over the lifetime of the, uh, because of neutron bombardment. So in order to decommission one of these plants, to really shut it down, you've got to cut it up in little pieces and send it out to a, a, a licensed uh, low-level nuclear waste dump. And that cost uh, is uh, gigantic. Uh, numbers I did years ago was that it costs about the same as building the plant in the first place. So, Sheldon, I mean, obviously we need to get ourselves off of nuclear. I mean, there's a huge problem that's been created already. But if we're going to start the actions to move this move this around to the best of our abilities before something catastrophic happens, and it does seem that Mother Nature's on a rampage right now to point out to us exactly how foolish we have been, either by fire or by water or by earthquake, um, I don't know what else she can come up with, but I, you know, there are always tornadoes and hurricanes, and um, the um, um, uh, the monsoon season is about to hit Japan, which is a whole other set of worries. But given that we have such a problem created already, what can we, the people, start to do to have even a modicum of effectiveness in injecting some sanity into this, and maybe? Turning this around so that there could, so that there's a chance of uh, minimizing this impact in the future, and then being then trying to address all the other problems. In other words, well, what can we do? Oh, it's pretty obvious. What well, we have to have this massive government campaign and uh, spending lots of money to develop solar and wind electric generators. And as they get built and come online, we can then begin shutting down the nuclear power plants. And uh, uh, coal has to be considered in there, too, which is not the subject of your program, but that's no good either. And uh, we have to, we have to uh, rely on, on sustainable sources of electricity. And uh, solar and wind uh, is go and a little geothermal as much as we can. There's not a lot of that, but there's wind and solar all over the place. And uh, we have to take advantage of it. We got to subsidize it and spend the money to do it. You know, it right more now more money than uh, we're spending on wars and uh, and uh, and uh, that uh, we've got set aside to the to to build new nuclear power plants. Uh, right, that's the eight billion dollars that uh, Obama's been uh, been projecting in the budget. And here's what I've been talking about on the program, and uh, it just as a concept. When um, Albert Einstein wrote a letter in uh, December of 1940 to Franklin Roosevelt and said, in essence, I think the Germans are going to try and develop a nuclear bomb. We've got to do it first. We need some money and some and 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 some support for this. Um, when can we get this started? By January of 41, Roosevelt had authorized the project, and that's how the Manhattan Project got started. That four and a half years later ended up in uh, the bombs that were dropped on Japan. My idea is that there are people out there who have been doing small-scale, because they've been limited by no money, but small-scale research into uh, solar, 
wind, geothermal, alternative energy, reclaiming some of the garbage material that's out there and turning it back into fuel, back into oil. And wouldn't it be great if that money that's currently put aside for nuclear, the $8 billion, would be applied instead to the equivalent of a Manhattan project to develop the the infrastructure and the technology to more quickly turn around the problems that we have and start dealing with the solution as opposed to re uh, reinvigorating the problem uh, and supporting the problem. Oh, that's very well stated, and that's very good. That's right on the money. That's exactly what we have to do, and uh, and we should have done it yesterday, but uh, we can't put it off any longer, and we got to start doing it. We've got global warming uh, that's uh, staring us in the face, as well as uh, as uh, 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 lack of drinking water, depletion of the soil for growing food. Uh, we've got uh, real serious environmental problems. Right. And, so, uh, but let's with, let's keep uh, the focus. Let's keep the focus for this just on on oh, well, what we can what we can first, do to narrow it down. Because I mean, if if we take a look at everything, I don't know about you. I'm going to grab a bottle and start drinking, and I don't drink. So. Um, they 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 intertwine. You see, the uh, the elimination of, of of the nuclear by developing solar and wind gives us a, a sustainable energy system and allows us to shut down the nuclear and shut down the coal and also uh, reduce uh, uh, make some impact against global warming, which we uh, uh, all which we're facing already. Yes, uh, and uh, is going to continue for a while, and it's going to take a long time. Uh, for once we stop uh, the greenhouse gases, uh, it's going to take a while for the atmosphere to recover itself. And uh, uh, I'm not uh, a, uh, an atmospheric physicist at all, and so uh, uh, my knowledge is pretty minimal as to how that's going to come about. But in the meantime, it's going to take some time, and, and that's what we're going to do. And we've okay. Get with so, Sheldon, I always like to bring this down to the practicalities of what we as citizen activists can do. And where would you suggest we put some energy? I mean, our own personal energy to take an action or take a couple of actions that are manageable for the individual but that have the potential en masse to actually make some differences in the policies in this country and um, the way we generate our energy. Okay, you never know when you go do something whether it's going to be effective or not effective. You just and have to go do it. it. One person's effort, uh, uh, you know, uh, in and of itself, uh, uh, for most of us, uh, uh, you know, is not going to be very effective. But you do what you can. You got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Did I contribute today to whatever?" And this means, uh, and what can you do? You write letters. You okay, letters to let's, the let's talk about that. Letters Writing letters. Who do, you, who do you suggest we write letters to? Okay, you got Obama. You got your congressional representatives. You got your state representatives. Each state uh, can develop its own solar and wind projects. California has a a, a goal for, uh, I think, I don't know, twenty percent of uh, uh, of the electricity to come from alternate, uh, from solar and wind in, I don't know, 10 years or something. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a reasonable goal. And uh, uh, and also even the local officials, cities, cities can do things. You can subsidize uh, uh, the uh, uh, photovoltaics on your roof like I have. 
that was subsidized by Los Angeles uh, City uh, uh, Department of Water and Power. And uh, uh, it still was expensive, but the but more research on the part of the federal government is going to bring the price down. Mm-hmm. Wind uh, generators, uh, and there's lots of wind throughout the country, uh, is already economic. And what's needed for the wind is power lines to take the energy from where the wind is blowing and the turbines are going to be and uh, uh, the other parts of the country that need it, the energy, that is. So that's that's a matter of infrastructure development. Right, and, and this depends on the states. Uh, so uh, city, state, and federal uh, uh, represent, government people, uh, representatives, uh, are people to write letters to, go talk to, uh, I know here in Los Angeles, uh, uh, some of the city councilmen, uh, uh, you can actually make an appointment, go in and talk to them. Now, they're not going to always do what you say, but at least, uh, you know, this is something an individual can do. And uh, and then blog about it and post on Facebook and get it on Twitter and start the conversation and keep the conversation going. That's right. And this program like yours is good. Thank you. Uh, we also spoke about uh, the other thing that people can do is immediately conserve, conserve, conserve electrical energy. Right. And uh, petroleum as well. You can drive your car in such a way that you maximize your gas mileage, for example, mm-hmm. and you can get uh, uh, four or five more miles per gallon. I know that every time I take my foot off the gas and start rolling into a light that I think is red, the cars behind me sometimes get very impatient, but I don't care. There's no need to speed up and then hit my brake to stop me when inertia will, or by the time I get to the light, it's turned green and I just step on the gas again. That's right. You know, and and, and bicycles are a great thing, too. I mean, what people need to realize, and, and tell me if you agree, Sheldon, we can only do what we can do, and it may be small, but a little and a little and a little over time can add up to a lot. That's right. Each of us is responsible for ourselves only, and you do what you can. And uh, whatever it is, uh, you do it. A uh, little money to certain organizations that seem to be doing good work and uh, honest about it uh, is helpful. Uh, letters, uh, you can spend full time doing it, too, and uh, that... Uh, might be too much because you get burnt out. You have to pace yourself. This is a long struggle. It's not going to be solved tomorrow and is going to continue on into the future as far as we can see. Well, Sheldon, um, it's clear that you have a wealth of information to share with us. We barely scratched the surface today. What I would like to do is at some point in the future have you back on this show and perhaps do a separate one-on-one interview where we just have a conversation for a while to record that. And um, I do have a website that's under construction right now, and we can post the um, interview as something completely separate from this program in case people would like to hear more about what you have to say about this topic. So we can just have an in-gathering place for this knowledge because your passion, your energy, your sense of history and involvement over this entire period of time um, is truly inspirational. And um, I love your passion about it, and we all deserve to be passionate about it because, hey, it's just life that we're fighting for. It's just life and the survival of the planet and the survival of the species. So, um, you Pardon? I want to thank you for doing this, <laughs> having this you and 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 uh, this kind of of uh, presentation to the public. 
and I'd be delighted to to help in, in any way I can. Well, trust me, I've got your phone numbers now on auto dial, and um, I will be uh, coming back to you, having further conversations, and doing whatever I can to um, uh, move us forward into a movement. So, Sheldon, thank you very much for now, and uh, we'll continue and just close up the uh, program now with a little bit more information. Sheldon Plotkin is a consulting systems and safety engineer and somebody who clearly has a ton of information to share with us about nuclear issues based on the fact that he's been involved in anti-nuclear in an anti-nuclear stance in public for more than 50 years. So um, we deserve to listen to what he has to say and allow that to guide us. Uh, so in each program, I like to include at least a little bit of holistic information that we can use to detoxify ourselves, build our health, uh, perhaps throw off radiation from the body if we were exposed to it. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything spiking in uh, the continental United States right now, but given what's happening in Nebraska and um, uh, with the Los Alamos fire, um, we have no idea what this is going to turn into. So this is a detoxifying bath. Nothing wrong with sitting in a, in a, in a puddle of water and soaking for a while. And here is the recipe. Two cups Epsom salts, magnesium sulfate, with one cup baking soda, which is sodium bicarbonate, arm and hammer, I think, and one-third of a cup of hydrogen peroxide in your bath. Soak in it for 20 to 30 minutes. Yes, you will turn into a prune, but you will survive that. And first of all, this is good to alleviate stress. Soaking in a nice warm bath is one of my favorite things to be able to do. The second part of it is that it allows the toxins, when you break the sweat that comes with this, it will allow toxins to exit the body through the skin. So whether you're exposed to radiation or just the usual toxins that are out there that we have in our environment, um, this is a good thing to do. And if nothing else, you'll get a chance to soak in the water, you'll have some quiet de-stressing time, and that is also good for your health because we've got to take care of ourselves if we're going to take care of this problem. So uh, that's going to be Nuclear Hot Seat for this week. Does anybody have any, any questions or any thoughts um, that you would like to uh, do? If you've put yourself on mute, you can unmute by doing star six. And if you have questions, perhaps uh, for Sheldon or for myself, going once, going twice. Okay. Libby Halevi. The show is Nuclear Hot Seat. It is going to be posted as soon as the website is completed uh, at nuclearhotseat.com. I'm also working on uh, a Facebook page and some Twitter feeds. And as soon as I figure out which elbow has to hit which keys on which electronic device, I will have those going as well. And if you come across any... Um, nuclear information you would like to make me aware of, you can friend me on Facebook. It's Libby Halevi, L-I-B-B-E, H-A, capital L, E, V like victory, Y. And that's on Facebook, and uh, I'll have more official sites as we go along. So everybody, thank you so much for being on the call. If you're listening to this on a download at a later time, thank you so much for downloading this. Please feel free to share this information, tell people about it, and um, do what you can. Take one action this week. Turn off a light, write to a senator, talk to somebody about your concerns, your fears, anything you learn from this program that might be of importance to you, and um, let's get the conversation going because it starts 
with breaking the silence, saying, okay, this stuff scares me. And then once you admit to the fear, taking a single action. Try to do at least one a week. If you can do one a day, that's even better. So um, everybody, be safe out there, and let's keep our fingers crossed that uh, the status remains quo or gets a little better for the immediate dangers that are out there. Be well. Bye-bye.